Uh, would you join me as we pray uh, together before we look at this part of the God's word? Father in heaven, thanks that your word speaks to us such good news that changes our lives and can and should change and transform the way we relate to others. By your spirit, please speak through me today. And by your spirit, plant your word in each person's heart who is listening. And Lord, we pray that you might help us to understand what we read, believe what we read, and respond in faith and obedience. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2 says at one time we were separate from Christ and excluded from God's people. And we know what it is to be separated, don't we? Kept far off from others. It wasn't that long ago that we were told to keep separate from family and friends and stay home. And for many who live alone, it was hard, unable to see loved ones, cut off in nursing homes. First slide, please, Andrew. Cut off in nursing homes, uh, in hospitals, uh, in our houses. Isolated people, isolate people who are feeling isolated, excluded from the warmth of relationships, the touch of others, and closeness with friends. But when you're separated from the Saviour Jesus and from relationship with God, it's, it's worse. It's much worse. And the good news of peace with God through the cross is something that can truly give us joy and transform the way that we relate to others. Last time God said in Ephesians that we were all born dead in sin, following the world, the flesh and the devil until God's grace made us alive our salvation can be described in terms of death to life. Here it's described in terms of enemies to friends, war to peace, people far away brought near. And our first point, if you're following the outline, is separated. It's almost impossible, I think, for us in 21st century Australia to really understand what the Jew-Gentile divide was like back in the first century. Anglo-Australians in the last 240 years have been racist towards Aboriginals, Chinese, Germans, Japanese, others, and sadly racism still occurs. But the separation and hostility between circumcised Jews and uncircumcised Gentiles was even greater. Don't forget that we're Gentiles, we're non-Jews. In verse 12, we're told that the Gentiles were separate from Christ and excluded from citizenship in Israel, excluded from being counted among God's people. If you remember, God chose to bless Abraham and his family, choosing Jacob's line, Israel, as his specially chosen people. God's promises were made to Israel. Except for individuals, Gentile non-Jews were not part of, the, of God's people, not part of the nation, under God's special rule, experiencing his special blessing. They were not part of God's people God plans to bring blessing to the nations through a promised descendant of Abraham, 
But God also called Israel to be a light to the nations. The tragedy was that Israel forgot their calling and they failed in their ministry, that their privilege was twisted into favoritism and they ended up despising the Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles called each other names. The Jews called the Gentiles dogs. And as we read here, uncircumcised, declaring they're not part of God's people. The separation between Jew and non-Jew was gigantic. William Barclay puts it like this. The Jew had an immense contempt for the Gentile. The Jews said the Gentiles were created by God to fuel the fires of hell. God, they said, loves only Israel of all the nations he had made. And the barrier between them was absolute. If a Jewish boy or girl married a Gentile, a non-Jew, the funeral of that boy or girl was held. That's why verse 14 speaks of this barrier, this dividing wall of hostility. God's laws about food and clean and unclean things also kept them separate. Even in the temple, believing Jews were only allowed to enter the outer courts, again communicating their separateness. They were cut off from approaching God's presence in the temple by this 1.5 metre high stone barricade and it was covered with warning notices. Not trespassers will be prosecuted, but trespassers will be executed. Only a few years before writing this letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul was nearly killed by an angry mob when they thought he'd brought a Gentile into the temple. But Gentiles weren't only separated from God's people, but also from God. Look at the end of verse 12. Without hope and without God. God had planned to, God had planned and promised to include them one day. But they didn't know God's covenants, covenant promises. The people of the world had no hope to sustain them. Individual Gentiles could and they had become part of Israel, like Rahab and Ruth. But Gentiles around the world still today are without gospel hope and without God in the world. In India or Nepal, you will find people worshipping idols. In China, you'll find people worshipping ancestors. In Australia, you find people worshipping themselves. Most Aussies live with no real hope for the next life. And when people have had their income or their access to loved ones stripped away, many people without God have been left without hope. But there is hope. Back in verse 4, there was a big but. We were dead, but God made us alive. Now there's another big but. Look at verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near. This brings us to our next point, included. 
God was near to his people, Israel, while we non-Jews were far off. But under the new covenant, by trusting in Christ, we've been brought near, included in and we're part of God's people. For he himself is, is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, that dividing wall of hostility. When Paul wrote these words, the temple still stood. And that wall keeping Gentiles away from the holy place still stood, but it was already antiquated and obsolete, out of date so far as its spiritual meaning went. Christ died on the cross to get rid of the divisive hostility between Jew and Gentile, between Jew and Gentile and between people and God. Verse 15, he destroyed the barrier separating Jews and Gentiles by abolishing the law with its commandments and regulations. Circumcision, the sacrifices, dietary laws, rules about cleanness and uncleanness that kept Jews far away from Gentiles, Christ did away with. Christ fulfilled all the terms of the law in his life and then in his death, He exhausted its condemnation for Jew and for Gentile. The death of Christ, which we'll remember in the Lord's Supper, ended the exclusion of the Gentiles. You see, we're all saved on the same basis. Trust in Christ's perfect fulfillment of the law's requirements, including its punishment of sin. And now there's nothing to keep those two parts of humanity separate. We read Christ died to make one new man, one new humanity out of the two. And when I think about dividing walls coming down, I think of the removal of the Berlin Wall, uniting East and West Germans in 1989. Its people together became German citizens. From verse 19, Paul gives us three images to help us understand this union and the Gentile inclusion in God's people. First, we're no longer foreigners, we're told, but fellow citizens with God's holy people. If you're an Australian citizen, you have easy access into this country, at least when the borders are open. Many more people want to become Australian citizens. But far better than being an Australian citizen is being a citizen of God's kingdom, a citizen of heaven. And being Australian isn't at the heart of our identity. Belonging to God is. Being a citizen of his kingdom. But if that wasn't enough. Secondly, by faith in Christ, we even become members of God's household members of his family, members of God's family. That, that's, more, that's more intimate and relational, isn't it? We really do belong. Thirdly, our inclusion is pictured, as, uh, is pictured with a temple. That's this temple, which we're told, has Christ as the cornerstone. And the apostles and the prophets provide the foundation because they've written the scriptures, uh, the Bible. 
And in this temple, this temple building, we're all like bricks. And Christ, by his spirit, he holds it all together. He holds the church together. And God lives in us, verse 22. It's not a physical building. It's a spiritual one. So do you see that God isn't dwelling now in holy buildings, but holy people? And if God lives in us by his spirit, then you can't get much nearer to God, can you? This nearness of God, which all Christians enjoy through Christ, it's a privilege that we take for granted too often. God does not keep his distance like we deserve. This brings us to our next brief point. Because of the cross of Christ, we not only become part of God's people, we get peace with God. Verse 13, 13 said Christ's blood, that's his blood poured out to death in a sacrifice. Because of that, we've been brought near. And verse 16, that we get reconciled to God through the cross. Christ's sacrifice takes away our sin, that barrier that kept all people far from God. We were far away from God, especially as Gentiles, and our trust in Jesus' sacrifice has brought us near. We were God's enemies. We were hostile to God. We hated his rule over us. And now Christ has reconciled us to God. Can you see that? That's what the passage is saying. Christ has killed the hostility between us. Christ by the cross killed God's hostility against our sin. And so now, verse 17, we have peace with God. If we've relied on Jesus, we have peace with God. Separation has become reconciliation. Hostility has become peace. Peace horizontally with with all other believers and peace vertically between us and God all through the cross. And when we actually stop and think about this, how can we respond but with rejoicing? Rejoicing. Brothers and sisters, if you have trusted in Jesus and in his death for you, which unites you to each other and reconciles you to God, then that is life-changing. Think about it. Please let your mind... Let your mind meditate on it. May I say marinate in it. These gospel blessings. We who were once far away, without hope, without God in the world, we've been brought near and we've been reconciled to the God of the universe. We have peace with the holy and living God who now lives in us. And when you want the hard things in your life to change, that can encourage you. So rejoice. And I say it again, 
rejoice. A second way to respond is by remembering. Look back at the start of the passage, verse 11. Remember you who were Gentiles. And verse 12, remember that you were separate from Christ. But now in him and by his blood you've been brought near. And verse 15, his purpose in dying was to create in himself one new humanity, making peace. Now this was, it was far from easy for Jews to undo centuries of thinking and culture. Just think of Jewish Peter having that dream. Do you remember that dream he had in Acts chapter 10, being asked to eat all these unclean animals that were lowered on a sheet and the challenge of him just going into an unclean Gentile's house and then him seeing, him seeing them saved by faith and not by following Judaism. Far from easy. But Christ changes things. One day a pastor saw Palestinians who'd fought for the Palestinian Liberation Organization now working alongside Israelis, distributing bread in the West Bank because they'd all become followers of Jesus. They were once enemies, real enemies who hated each other. And now they are brothers in the same global family working together in the cause of Christ. And so the new humanity, the the one body of Christ created by his death, it does away with race distinctions. Once Bishop John Reed was driving a school bus in Outback Australia, which carried whites and Aboriginals. Tired of all the squabbling, the driver pulled to the side of the road. He said to the white boys, what colour are you? They said, white. He told them, no, you're green. Anyone who rides on my bus is green. Now what colour are you? The white boys replied, green. Then he said to the Aboriginals, what colour are you? Black. Nope, you're green, he said. Anyone who rides on my bus is green. All the Aboriginals answered that they were green. The situation seemed resolved until several miles down the road, he heard a boy in the back announce, all right, light green on this side, dark green on this side. See, Bishop Reed had the right idea. What was needed was a new race, but he couldn't pull it off. But Jesus created a new humanity, a new race with all his people as one. And it must show itself in the way that we, that we show itself in the way that we relate to one another in the church as fellow believers, and also the way we relate to people of all different races. The race riots in America have been so concerning, haven't they? 
The selfishness that moves people to smash and steal. And the hateful violence needs to stop. But George Floyd's death was deeply disturbing and gut-wrenching and unjust. And the gross injustice that many black people have suffered over years needs to stop. I thank God that the divide between blacks and whites in America for some is coming down. And may the Lord bring culture change. But whether it's in America or in Australia, racism in God's people goes completely against the truth of what God has done for us in Christ. This was posted on Instagram this week. Jesus does not prefer black over white or white over black. Jesus prefers the color red. It was his red blood spilled on a cross that proved his love for all people and all races. When God sees us, he sees red. He sees people worth dying for. The blood of a king set us free. Now, I'm sure you know God doesn't literally see red when he sees us, when he looks at his people, but But it is true that God doesn't see black or white. He doesn't see African or Asian or European or Persian or Australian. He sees people who are forgiven, washed in the blood of his son, clothed with his righteousness, Christ's righteousness. We're all one in Christ. So don't ever think it is okay to look down on or discriminate against somebody because they're black or Asian or Middle Eastern. And kids, it is never okay to avoid or reject or tease someone because of the the colour of their skin or because they're disabled or they're different. God is the creator of us all. And the gospel transcends all those boundaries. And that really ought affects to affect how we treat people. We were all far from God, and now we believers have peace with God. We're part of God's people. And when we remember that, it will change us. So let's remember how to treat each other, especially as fellow members of Christ's church and as brothers and sisters in God's family. We're family. We're going to hear more about that when we come to chapter 4. But it will mean that we show respect and appreciation and affection It'll mean that we show sacrificial kindness and warm support to each other. So are you committed to loving your brothers and sisters deeply, however different they are from you, whatever their cultural background? And yet when we move from 
the ideal one new humanity of Ephesians chapter 2 to the reality of church life, it can be tragic. For even in the church, there can be alienation and disunity and and division. Our third response is we should be reconciling with one another as far as we're able. Sadly, new barriers can be erected by Christians, sometimes flowing from racism or rich and poor distinctions. And maybe you make no efforts to speak with or connect with or care for people from that particular group, from a particular culture. Maybe there's a pride that looks down on other Christians or other denominations. Sometimes personal hostility flows from prejudice or jealousy or from an unforgiving spirit. Maybe someone hurts you and they've apologised, they've sought forgiveness and not done it again and you're still holding on to bitterness and unforgiveness. See, too often we build walls in the one and only community where God has destroyed them. Brothers and sisters, are you building or holding up any walls? Will you plan to tune in to the winter teaching series on forgiveness? In the words of John Stott, of course barriers of language and culture remain. Of course we feel more comfortable with people of our own kind, but we should not deliberately perpetuate these barriers in the church or tolerate them. We cannot preach the gospel and then remain unchanged by the gospel. So let's get the failures of the church or ourselves on our conscience to feel the way it offends Christ and even the world. Let's weep over the credibility gap between the church's walk and its talk. Let's repent over the readiness, our readiness to excuse or even condone our failures for the honour of Christ and the spread of the gospel. Let's pray for the church to be what by God's purpose And Christ's achievement, it already is one new humanity, a model of community, a family of reconciled brothers and sisters who love their father and love each other, the place where God clearly dwells by his spirit. And if we're finding it difficult to be at peace with others, perhaps because we've been hurt so deeply or so often by them, we will need time in prayer to seek strength from Jesus, who has loved us enough to reconcile us to God with his blood. From his reconciliation of sinners to the Father comes spiritual power for reconciliation with each other. May you and I remember that. God in his word today has commanded us to not forget who who you were 
or who you would be without grace, separate from Christ, without God. For then we shall be able to remember and rejoice in the greatness of his grace and Christ's cross which forgives us and includes us. We have peace with God. We're included in God's people. Remember that. Rejoice in that and let the reality of who you are in Christ change the way you respond to others. Let's pray that that will. Our Father in heaven, we confess with the words of this passage this morning that we were once separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in your people Israel, without hope and without you in the world. But in the coming of Christ and in his death and blood poured out for us, we can now be reconciled with Jews and other Gentiles, other believers the world over, and others right next door, others right in our church. Please help us to not put up or hold up barriers between others. Forgive us for those times when we have been prejudiced or racist or selfish or looked down on others with pride. Pray that you might move us to repent of our sin and to move towards others seeking reconciliation. Lord, we pray that you might please do a work of grace in our hearts and in our church. We pray, Lord God, that you might glorify yourself in the way we respond. Lord, we pray that you would make us more like Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.